Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, doctor of physical therapy. On this episode, we have a very special guest that we'll be chatting with, and that is, I was going to say doctor of chiropractor, but he told me to just refer to him as Aaron. So I will let him introduce himself and take it away, Aaron. How are you? Thank Uh, you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm Aaron Kubal. I'm a chiropractor. That's about it. Very short and sweet. I like it. Tell the audience a little bit about how you got to where you are today. So you're a chiropractor, but many of the listeners probably know you as the TikTok guy who debunks <laughs> most of what the chiropractic profession does. So tell us a little bit about what your journey was starting from before you even got into chiro school and then to where you are now. I would also add debunks most of what the physical therapy yes. profession does too. But yes, you know. yes. Uh, anyway, anyway. Yeah, so I went to uh, graduate from chiropractic school. I've been out of school for coming up on a year now. I graduated last November. Uh, I have my own online practice that I started after graduation. And that was really more of a byproduct of, I was going to do telehealth regardless, just because I think it really fits my practice approach. And then um, the pandemic plus me just kind of falling into a social media following made it more feasible for me to actually just start offering telehealth exclusively and not needing an in-person office. So that's kind of just what happened. Um, And obviously that's pretty atypical of a chiropractor because we crack backs and rub muscles or whatever. And I don't because I talk to people through a computer screen and can't really do that. So very different style of practice. And obviously that's kind of a reflection of me having a really different experience with school going through and just kind of being really skeptical and turned off by pretty much all of it the entire time and always, you know, raising my hand and disagreeing with everything during lectures and getting arguments with classmates and getting in arguments with teachers and getting in arguments with field docs and like just always having issues with a lot of the stuff we were being taught because as I was going through things wouldn't make sense and then I would ask questions about why they didn't make sense and read papers Um, you know, both for and against and be like, wow, that really doesn't make sense. And then I'd bring it to school and get in fights again and the cycle repeats. So yeah, it was just, uh, you know, not your typical graduate school experience, but I I guess that's kind of what led me to having more of a non-conventional approach to being a chiropractor too. So all's well and ends well, I I guess. I don't know. (laughs) It got you to where you are today. So I always think I was actually talking to a friend earlier. I was like, even if we don't end up in the field we originally planned, if we didn't go down this road, it is still a stepping stone to get us into that direction, right? So, you know, it's a means to an end, right? Something like that. (laughs) Something like that. Exactly. What made you decide to even go into chiropractic, for example, like versus PT or another healthcare field or just healthcare in general? I think I just was ignorant, I guess, because like I grew up um, playing a lot of sports. And so um, sometimes like I'd get hurt and there was a Cairo office like close to us. And uh, my mom took me there and the guy was like the coolest dude ever and didn't do anything weird. Like he I'd go in there like sometimes he'd crack my back, but usually he wouldn't. And sometimes he'd rub muscles, but usually he wouldn't. And most of the time it was just him like 
giving me really good advice, telling me what I needed to know about different injuries so I could manage them myself and like get through seasons of hockey and football and baseball and like um, sometimes rehab stuff. If I had like an actual issue and um, but most of the time just, it was just him, like just kind of guiding me along. And like, that was what my impression of chiropractic was. And I'd never seen a physical therapist either. It was just like, I went to him for everything. Cause he just seemed like everything he said made sense and it was all really simple and he was cool. And so that was like my full experience of uh, what I thought chiropractic was. And I did not know it to be any different than that. And obviously me being really impulsive and dumb I didn't really background check it any further than that I was like oh well I know what chiropractic is because I just saw this guy do it to me for several years so I got to the end of my college baseball career and was like I think I should do what that guy did um so I went to Cairo school and then found out that Cairo was not what I thought it was at all like not even remotely close and that guy was more of an outlier than the norm Cause like I got into school and like, it started out, you know, with like basic sciences. And I was like, yeah, I mean like, you know, Cairo healthcare science, like great. This is exactly what I expected. And then more weeks passed for the first few trimesters and every passing week I was hearing something like weirder and weirder and crazier. And I was like, what the f-? and then you start looking on the internet and reading more stuff and you're like, Oh boy. What was like the in- turning point, I guess, through your schooling that you kind of started diving more into things or trying to see if it could be debunked versus obviously like a lot of people PT Cairo and everything in between like they don't always question what they're being taught so how did you start I guess down that road and then were there issues that came up between like you your classmates or like classmates who obviously did not question anything well I just like and it's so weird because like I didn't even look at it as like when I was going through school, I didn't look at everything like, I'm going to go debunk this. Like, I'm going to go find everything I can that says the opposite. Like, it was not even that. It was literally just me wanting to know or like better understand why people were saying what they were saying. So it wasn't me like trying to like, ah, I'm going to go prove my teachers wrong. Like, I just genuinely wanted to understand it. So uh, there were a lot of like weird moments and turning points along the way. My whole schooling experience was just so ridiculous. But um, I think the biggest one for me must have been, uh, <laughs> they had this, uh, so bad. There's this, have you ever heard of applied kinesiology? Have you ever heard of that? I feel like I have. Yes. I mean, I I, like, those are two words put together where it's like, that sounds like it should be a thing applied kinesiology. Like it's, sure. that sounds, well, and I think that's kind of part of the marketing tactic behind it. It is a like subset of chiropractic. And once you hear what it is, you're like, why do they call it applied kinesiology? And I have no idea. But what they do is they like take like supplements and nutrients and stuff. And they will like test your strength and like push down and say like, resist me. Don't let me push you down. Like you're holding your arm up and you resist and they'll push you down. And then they'll put like sprinkle, like some nutrient or supplement, like on your tongue and have you hold it in your mouth. And then they'll push down again and the person will be stronger or weaker. And that tells them that they're either like they, their body wants that nutrient. Oh, so God. that's how they would give them like that supplement. And then it got like weaker Then they would say like, Oh, your body doesn't need that supplement. You need to cut that nutrient out of your diet. And like, that's what they were doing. And it was ridiculous. And then uh, and they would do the same thing with spinal manipulation. So like they would push your body in a certain direction, like on your spine, like directionally, 
And if it went in one direction and you got stronger, they'd say, we need to crack your back that way. And if it got weaker, it'd say, well, let's go the opposite way. <laughs> That's a very crude explanation of it. Right. But I don't think it really deserves a very detailed explanation because it's all a big scam anyway. So it doesn't matter. But I went to a seminar for that applied kinesiology because I they came to our pay school. money for that. Oh, <laughs> this is what pissed me off the most. Like these people are welcome into our college to teach students annually. And it was a weekend thing. So, and I didn't know, like, I just heard the words applied kinesiology. I was like, I mean, I've heard of kinesiology. I think that has something to do with something. So I was like, yeah, I guess I'll go to that. I mean, I want to learn things. Uh, and so I went and it was like one weekend for four months. So like every month you'd spend one weekend at this thing. And I, I would go and I started seeing what it was and all this muscle testing and sprinkling supplements on people. And like, it was just insane and absurd. And then at one point the instructor like showed us before and after photos, trying to convince us that he like helped someone regrow parts of their foot after they had like gangrene, like oh. lost toes, like coming back from some supplements and back crack. What bothered me was like, I'm sitting there wanting to record this and putting on YouTube because it's like so comically insane. And then I was looking around at my classmates and people were like so excited and just eating it up. Like they were like enthralled by what they were seeing. And this guy's talking about how he like treated all these pro athletes and all these famous people and like literally like very famous actors who you would know, like this dude's like taking pictures of them and then showing videos, like dropping supplements on their tongue. And I'm just like, like, can you not see all the marketing that's happening all around you to like get you stoked about this? And so then that was, I got like really upset over that because part of their marketing scheme was it was free for students if you went to all four sessions. But if you only went to like the first two sessions and then you stopped showing up, then you had to pay for all the sessions you attended. So like if you went to one and then stop, you'd have to pay. So that's how they like reel you in if you're a skeptic and you don't like it now they kept you there and you have to keep showing up uh, did you talk to any of your classmates or the other students who were there about like you're obviously sitting there and you're like what is this that's going on but then you mentioned that you see your fellow students are sitting there like enthralled by this whole thing did you have any conversation like in that time frame where you're like like this is crazy to me and they're like oh my god no this is awesome I literally had a notebook that I brought with me to every session and wrote down every single thing that the main teacher said that I thought didn't make any freaking sense. And then I would just like ask my classmates, like what they thought of all those questions, they'd be like, oh, I'm sure they'll get to that. And I was like, they just covered it and just kept going. And plus there was also like a whole anti-vax shtick somewhere in the middle of that too, which was like a whole other issue. And I was like, so I got like mad eventually by like the third weekend. And I went out of my way to try to just find everything I could. Now I was like maliciously trying to debunk it because I was just angry. <laughs> and I did. And once I went digging and found how pseudoscientific and just scammy and nonsense applied kinesiology was, that was kind of the big flip of the switch where I went from being like healthy skeptic to like, okay, now I'm like angry about a lot of what I'm being taught. And now I'm really looking really closely at just everything. Because if the college is allowing these people to come into the school and influence students, what else are they just okay with teaching? Uh, so that was where I kind of flipped. And then like for a week, I like went into full panic mode and I was like, I can't do this for a career. I'm not going to be able to respect myself for like 
be able to look someone in the face and say, yes, I'm a chiropractor. So I started looking around at medical school and joining like MCAT study groups on Facebook and all that, like for like just a week, like I was in full crisis mode. And um, one of my professors convinced me to stay because I was already halfway through school, which was going to be a lot of money and time wasted if I dropped out. So he convinced me to stay and I ended up staying, but that was like the biggest moment where I was like, holy shit, I don't know if I can like respect myself if I go forward with this. And that was, that was a big deal for sure. How did he convince you to stay? Like, what was he, what were his talking points? He knew how I felt about um, a lot of different stuff in his perspective. We kind of share in that most musculoskeletal pain and injury situations can be effectively self-managed if people can just be taught, um, you know, some basic principles and how to do those things. So he really just kind of shown me what I could do with a chiropractic license as more of like a rehab type professional um, and showed me just a lot of examples of other good chiropractors who are out in the U.S. and beyond who like if you watched them practice, you'd have no idea that they're a chiropractor. Um, and he just showed me enough examples where I was like, oh, okay, well, I, I could do that. Like, that's not, like, at least I'll feel like what I'm doing isn't absurd and like a scam, like an outright scam. So that, that was convincing enough to make me stay. That's good. And that yeah. you lucked out then that you had someone who was able to kind of show you that other light. I did. And I, and like, that's, what's nice too, is now looking back, like I'm perfectly happy with my job and I always tell like, I get asked all the time um, if I wish that I would have gone to like PT school, which I think is just an absolutely hilarious question because I struggle to see like any difference other than, other than really only what you do as a, like acute care. Like, I think that's really like some of those more like specific subsets of PT. I think those are really the only distinctions between, cause like outpatient PT clinics and chiro. I mean, what is the difference, honestly? So, yeah. um, but people always ask me that. I'm always like, I mean, I wouldn't do anything any different. So that, that is always a sign to me that like, I'm good with what I do. I don't feel like I'm like, need to change careers or anything. Um, so yeah, it did work out, but. So when uh, people ask you what the difference is between Cairo and PT, obviously there is pseudo science, unfortunately, kind of in both of them, but if you remove both of those pieces, what to you is like the similarities or differences between the two, because obviously healthcare professionals, I know I've had conversations with people who are nurses or MDs, physicians, et cetera, like they have no idea what the difference is. So how, if there is another healthcare professional listening, that's not familiar with the fields, like what are the distinctions or similarities that you see? Yeah. I always like saying that if a chiropractor and a physical therapist are both up to speed on research, like within our kind of sphere of conservative musculoskeletal healthcare, they're up to speed on research and they're always reading and they're following clinical practice guidelines. And like, they're what you would call an evidence-based quote unquote clinician. Um, they should be indistinguishable. If you had them muted and you just watch the two work, like you shouldn't be able to tell who's the PT and who's the Cairo. That's kind of where I think the overlap is. What's been nice for me is like having a big social media following. I get exposed to a ton of uh, different people and PTs and like PTs have welcomed me with open arms and sought me out for I've had like a bizarre amount actually of practicing PTs uh, book with me as patients, like to get care from me, which is always just makes me laugh because I'm always just like, like you do this. What am I going to tell you that you don't do? But like that happens all the time. I know it's like hard to objectively 
take care of yourself sometimes. So I do get that. But um, I think that's a perfect example of where like, we should be the same. Um, and we should be, you know, kind of linking up with each other, because it shouldn't really be like, oh, PT over chiropractic or chiropractic over PT, you should just be lifting up and celebrating um, evidence based clinicians and supporting that rather than saying one profession versus the other, because like, at the end of the day, if a family member comes into me and says, hey, I started seeing a physical therapist, or hey, I started seeing a chiro, I will be equally as skeptical of both until I'm able to look into the situation and make sure I'm okay with my family members seeing that particular professional. So it really does come down to the individual in either profession, um, rather than just judging it on a whole scale, I would say. Yeah, I think that's very valid. And I I always see it too, is no matter what the profession is, you're making sure one, it's ethical care. And two, you're there to help the other person. So if you see that they're getting better, unfortunately, yes, like people claim to get better just by quote unquote, cracky backy, as you call it, if they can get better, I'm like, all right, good for you. I'm not going to sit here and be like, what they did was wrong. As long as they're not being obviously scammed to go somewhere for a week at a time for 50 weeks straight. Um, but I think, yeah, it's just making sure the patient is put first. And of course, obviously we all want like the best evidence-based care. Let's go back to, you mentioned your social media. Now this, I feel like has been a whirlwind and has taken off so fast, so soon. So when did you kind of start making videos. I know TikTok grew faster than Instagram, but kind of like talk us through how this whole thing transpired, where it started from and where it's kind of taken you. Yeah, I did it. I knew actually since not last December, but the one before, maybe even the one before that, honestly, now all the years are blending together, but um, that I was going to do telehealth just because again, like my approach to care is really based very heavily on like what Peter O'Sullivan and his group do with cognitive functional therapy and um, a lot of their research and publications. Like I really, really try to get as close to that as I possibly can. And so knowing that I knew telehealth was a perfect fit long before the pandemic ever happened. Um, And then the pandemic did happen and then telehealth became a little bit more mainstream. So the timing really worked out for me. And I was just looking at it as I was a month before graduation. I was like, if I want telehealth to be a big part of this, I need to have a way to potentially reach people who would benefit from that service. Cause like, obviously me just marketing in my hometown, how am I going to get people on interested in a telehealth um, session? So that was the reason that I jumped on TikTok was cause I just knew that that was like a rapidly growing social media platform and social media can be conducive to people getting care online and seeing websites. So that's why I started. And then Um, Like I did like a few posts and I think like by like my 14th or 15th post, it just went crazy and had like a million views. And all of a sudden I had all these followers just fall into my lap. And um, it's just kind of been a really fast ascent ever since. I mean, like I, I do work really hard on that. I, I mean, I, if you look, there's been long chunks of time where I'm posting anywhere from two to three times, like every single day. And I have to put a lot of time into videos and you especially know how much time is if you actually watch my videos. Um, like I'm literally like trying to walk the lay public through like research papers, which is not a super easy thing to do and communicate. Like it's not easy to do that um, just between professionals and then to try and make the findings of a paper 
applicable to the general public it can be like challenging and I'm always really particular about how I word things so um, it takes a lot of time I've had to put a lot of hours into just making those videos but I would just keep churning them out pretty much nonstop for I mean November mid-November was when I started so coming up on about a year now of doing it and it's almost at like a half a million ish I think like 430,000 right now on TikTok and then I don't know what Instagram's at but only 430,000 uh, no big deal something something along those lines and that that's yeah that's kind of how it happened so I really it started as a means of me wanting to just make telehealth more of a possibility and then it turned into me just desperately trying to make the lay public somewhat aware of what guideline-based care actually looks like and then also another part of my platform is debunking things that um, are not well supported or if they do have some support really just going after the narratives around them like no we're probably not aligning your spine or no we're, you're probably not riddled with trigger points and muscle knots like some of that stuff so that's what, what are some of the videos or have you had any videos that have been more I would say more filled with drama or conflict that like your comments are filled with like whether oh it's other God. practitioners or just the you know there's been tons of them I mean yeah. like it's, and actually it's funny because some of them are like the, some of the big like hot button topics in physical therapy like spine flexion lumbar flexion lifting technique I've had a lot of those be really controversial like core stability bracing um, some of those get a lot of a lot of heat on them I did one that was like one of the only ones I've done where the comment section was almost overwhelmingly negative, which was um, going over the trial that came out on the 10 most, or the paper that came out on the 10 most commonly used orthopedic procedures. Um, and it literally only reviewed the RCTs that we had for like each one, but like the truth is some of them don't have any RCTs. And that was what kind of what the paper was trying to point out was how few quality trials we have on some very commonly used invasive procedures. Um, and I was just pointing that out and literally just reading what the paper said, no false claims, no, nothing I would consider misinformation, but I think it was because I'm a Cairo and I was talking about something as mainstream as orthopedic surgery. Oh my gosh. Like I was getting just crushed in there. You, if you want some good entertainment, go back there and read the comments and see how many people call me stupid on that one. But that was a big one. Then the most recent one that's been really controversial, I posted like four days ago, which was on chiropractic maintenance care. And essentially wow. the video is saying chiropractic maintenance care is complete bullshit. And nobody needs it. I don't say it like that, but that is what the 60 seconds pretty much amounts to. And man, it's got like 3000 comments on it right now and 3 million views. And I think it's still going up, up, up and, people it's very mixed like some people uh there's chiros in there obviously upset and then there's patients who are on maintenance care that believe in it that are upset and then there's patients who are on maintenance care that feel like they've been scammed who are upset and then there's people who are like clapping saying good job like say that so it's an absolute shit show and it's super crazy do you have any patients that you've now worked with through telehealth that have come from backgrounds where they were maybe on maintenance care programs or they heavily believed in like cracky backy and all that stuff. And how do you kind of get them out of that way of thinking? Yeah. So that's been a huge unintended benefit. That's been a really big deal for my practice is, and I didn't do this by design. It just kind of happened, but like the, 
I work primarily with chronic pain. And obviously if you're familiar with cognitive functional therapy and that approach, like you can see how that is kind of what my main interest is, is chronic, is chronic pain. And the thing about people with chronic pain is, I mean, they've been dealing with the situation for a long time. So they've usually got a laundry list of providers and it's always the same kind of story. They've seen this many doctors and they've tried every single thing under the sun and they've been told seven different explanations for why they have pain. And now at this point, everything's just very confusing. And again, they've tried everything. So yeah, as far as like, have they tried maintenance care or some of the other things I talk about on my page, like all of them. And what's been nice about my platform on some of those debunky type videos, like you wouldn't imagine that kind of thing generating patients, but what it does for people with chronic pain who have tried that and haven't succeeded with it, it kind of validates that experience for them because sometimes someone with chronic pain is sold a treatment like that. And it's sold so fiercely that they really think it's supposed to work and it should work for them. And then when it doesn't, that can really have a negative impact on their outlook and how they feel about their condition and ability to recover. Cause they're like, that was supposed to work and it didn't. So what does that say about how bad this situation really is for me? And then when they see a video that I make saying, Hey, like a lot of that's horseshit, that's validating for them at least because they're like, okay, maybe it's all right that that didn't work because maybe there's a lot of people that that doesn't work for and maybe there's something else. So that has been useful. But as far as going back to your question, every single patient I have is, is exactly like that. They've, they've all tried a lot of the things that I talk about. They've all seen, you know, every type of provider you can imagine, tried every type of treatment. And um, yeah, so the, like I'm having those conversations all day, every day. And what's really nice is since I have kind of made myself into this like part-time debunky guy, patients come into the consult expecting their beliefs to be challenged and not even expecting it, but wanting that. And like we know with within physical therapy in Cairo that belief change and trying to get people away from unhelpful beliefs, like your spine is falling apart to something a little more scientific and optimistic is really hard to do. I kind of have made that easier for myself because now I market in a way that people are booking because they want me to do that. So I don't have to convince them. It's almost like they're waiting for me to say it because they want me to. I don't have to do as much like the unlearning part's a little easier for me because they're booking to get that done. So how would you explain it? Because I think the biggest challenge for students when they're on their clinical sites, even if they want to try, you know, I know level up initiative with Zach and Steph is huge into the growth mindset. And I know I've talked with them and the groups that I've been in and students I've talked to, the most difficult part is finding the right words to use with patients, whether they actually want to learn like yours do, Mm -hmm. or even if they want to be challenged, what do you find is the best way to have these conversations? Like literally, like how do you phrase it? Because I think you can get so jumbled in your own words that you like, you don't even end up realizing what you're saying. I was not great at it um, in the beginning. And like, I definitely had consults where like, I came away from it thinking, man, that sucked. Um, They're more skeptical now than they were before. And I did a horrible job communicating, but what has made a big difference for me is taking pressure off myself to really overanalyze and just look for that first thing that they say that I can latch onto and use as an explanation. Cause that's what I would do. Like I would listen to them, not with the intention of hearing what they were trying to tell me, I would listen to them 
with the intention of finding how am I going to answer the question. So like I would already have the question preset in my mind of like explaining their situation or whatever. And I would just look for the first thing they would say that might be an answer to that. And I'd kind of zone out anything that didn't end up fitting what I was going to hopefully be able to offer later. So instead of doing that now, it's just listening much, much more. Like when umpires in baseball games do a pitch count, they have a clicker and I count my words in my sessions now. And I try to keep it under a certain amount, depending on what type of session it is. Um, and if I get to the end of the session and I've got that clicker number too high, like it reinforces for myself that I've said too much. And what that does for me is I can get their full timeline and really see like how many points are they bringing up that they mentioned two, three, four times to kind of gauge like how important something is to them and really see how everything fits in the timeline. And then as far as like actually changing beliefs or offering a new explanation or perspective, the most important part is once you've got the full timeline and you've got somewhat of a sense of like what really, really matters to them and what doesn't, then you can go back <clears throat> with the alternative explanation you might offer and actually fit it in with their story and try to match it up at, with different time points and different events that happen for them and try to line the two up. And I think when you actually tie it in and make it relatable to like what they've gone through, it shows that one, you heard what they said because you're literally fitting a complicated explanation to like their life now. And two, it makes more sense to them because it turns into, instead of getting lectured on like how pain works or lectured on like, oh, well, actually that's not how this works. Uh, we found out with all this research that it's, it's actually something else. Like that's useless, but if you can fit it to their experiences, then it becomes a lot more relatable and makes more sense to them. So that's been the, probably the biggest thing for me is actually listening to the story and trying to line things up with them rather than just force information on people. Yeah. And I like how you also started this out by saying how it took you a while to kind of find the right word, so to speak, like you weren't great at it in the beginning. And that's like so important for so many people to realize that it's going to take a lot of practice and a lot of patient experience to get like the best grip I could say on it. Cause it's never going to be perfect, but I think it's also super important. Like what you said, you have to be listening, but also you don't want to be a spitting textbook at the same time. So what yeah, connection can, can you build? Yeah. I even changed, like I changed my practice around that too. To and like, this is a good example of how people can try and like implement this stuff a little bit better. It's not going to work for everybody's clinics or whatever. But another thing that I did again, to try and take that pressure off and not feel like I have to t explain something. I have to give them some explanation right now. Um, what I had done was I broke my initial consult sessions into like two smaller sessions. So like the first one is truly meant to be just me listening um, and just them talking and no explanations given, no strategies given, no answers, no solutions, nothing. I'm just listening. Um, and then I tell them that we'll get into the explanations and we'll kind of go through the timeline together and start talking about solutions in the next one. Because what that does for me then is, you know, if it ends up being quicker and easier, I can start explaining the first one and get a head start on it. But if not, I can take that extra time and really think about what I'm going to say and how I'm going to fit it to their story and re-go through my notes again 
and actually plan that rather than try to spit something out or make sense of something on the spot. And plus when, when a person retells like their whole pain experience and it's chronic pain, like that can be really a lot to unpack. And for a lot of people, like I, people cry on my calls all the time. Cause that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. And if you think you're going to let someone like do that for an hour and then try to then also like flip their world on its head and offer a new explanation at the end of that very fatiguing hour, that's like too much a lot of the time. So it's good to break those things up and not overwhelm people. So I literally split consultations now. Yeah, I think that's great that you have the ability to do that. And I also think it also places a major importance on the whole subjective and I remember one of the clinicals yeah. that I did my outpatient orthopedics fill at, the, my CI was always rushing me with the subjectives. And I was like, the person's telling me what exactly is happening to them. Yes, I understand you can cut them off here and there, but it might be important to what goals they have or you know what their lifestyle is and give me more of an inkling as to what's going on. And sometimes yep. you can get more from the subjective than you can from the objective with all your measurements and special tests and all of that fancy stuff that we can go a whole rabbit hole down <laughs> um, as always. That'll have to be part two, but you know, it's, I think it just places such an importance and it's also good to note that yes, you can have someone come in if you don't have the ability to break it up into two sessions like you do, but also have them come in for one or two, maybe even three appointments just to get them comfortable with you. So you can start building a rapport and then you can start you know, chipping away at the little things that maybe are more outdated narratives or things that could potentially harm them. So I think yep. those are excellent, excellent points. Uh, what kind of resources do you look towards, whether it was from when you were a student kind of figuring all this stuff out or even today? I mean, there's obviously so many articles out there, but if a student wants to kind of start challenging, I guess, a little more of the narrative and things that are out there, where do you get started? What do you think is a good place to start reading? Um, well, first find students who value that too, because they've probably got stuff that they like. Um, that's really important. So make sure that you've got kind of a group, especially if you're in Cairo land, uh, just cause like you really marginalize yourself if you're going to try and go this route. Um, and you can feel like you're like the only one in school trying to think this way. So looking on social media and finding other people who are doing the same is really important, but then I think the most underrated somehow still for like being able to stay up to date on research and actually see what guidelines are saying and what is changing and coming and going. The most useful resources for sure Twitter, because everybody who's publishing the papers and doing the studies is extremely active on Twitter, like replying to clinicians questions, debating research findings, going over what's new, what's changed, what's old. And they'll like talk to you back and forth and answer questions because their life is literally trying to improve quality of care. So Twitter is extremely underrated for that. And it's a great way to figure out what's coming out when, what's on the horizon. And you can also like use that as a strategy to get better at reading research and interpreting that stuff because you can read the paper and then you can say, okay, well, that was what I took away from it. Let's see what the authors actually took away. And then let's see, like, how do the two line up? And then let's see, what are other people saying? Am I getting stuff wrong? Am I getting stuff right? And that's a really good way to do it. That would be my top recommendation. Do you have like a top, maybe two or three accounts that you'd recommend to follow or check out? 
just go find just go find me and then you can click on like who i'm following and go follow anybody who has musculoskeletal research phd whatever in their bio and just start there noted and where what's your username on twitter so people know where to find you i think it's the same as all my other stuff i think it's aaron kubal dc pretty sure maybe there's an underscore in there somewhere i don't know you'll find it it's aaron kubal something Got it. Where do you see yourself going forward now that you have like this online presence and your telehealth consults and everything? What do you think you see yourself in the next maybe year, five years? Oh God, it's so hard. I <laughs> And you know this with like having your own business stuff and jobs and everything. It's like, you've got plans for the future, but you need it, like a plan for your plan and for a plan. Like, exactly. Yeah. I yeah. feel like I'm always working on something and never making any progress, but what I'm trying to do there's opportunity for changing kind of my online platform to bring more like-minded people in and hopefully be able to, if we combine enough large platforms who are trying to spread this narrative of self-management stuff and, and telehealth, that hopefully we can put enough big ones together that you can start offering that to clinicians who don't have the opportunity to offer telehealth just because they don't have a means of putting their name out. So then you can kind of put them on a roster of available providers under like one umbrella. That's something that um, I'm kind of trying to work on. And then also teaching, I've been working on a course since like early summer, as far as like taking people through, how can you actually teach people to self-manage through just video calls? Um, What questions are important to ask? How do you update programs? How do you go about programming? Does everybody need a program? Giving actionable advice, following up, email support, all that. Um, So teaching PTs and Kairos how to do that is also something that I'm working on as far as turning that into a course. What else am I trying to do? There's other like volunteer stuff for, that I'm trying to figure out for the Twin Cities, just because like, obviously, if you know anything about chronic pain, socioeconomic status is a huge deal. And me being a cash only uh, practice, because I have to, not everybody who suffers the most from chronic pain has any means of accessing care from me just because they can't afford it. So trying to figure out how to make that reasonable for people around here is another project. That one is probably the one I made the least progress on because I don't know anything about money or business or anything. So um, it's super Lots hard. Lots little things to work on for sure. Yeah, there's, there's plans. Just we'll see if anything gets done. Not a bad thing. Okay, last question. What do you recommend for students who maybe, whether they're in Cairo or PT, they want to start challenging a little bit of what they're learning and finding that it's outdated? What's your advice to them if they want to have these conversations that may be more uncomfortable with their professors or colleagues or students? Oh, God, just read research. Like, just take some time to actually read papers, like, not just abstracts, but like, go through it. And when part of it doesn't make sense, like, don't ignore that. Figure out why that is. Like, skip class to read research. Like, I, that's what I used to do. I don't understand this, like, everybody, like, reveres everything that's in the textbooks and everything that's you're studying for your board exams. And there's always the assumption that, like, if it's in the textbook and it's on the board exam, then it has to be good and it has to be evidence-based. Well, I'm pretty sure is upper cross and lower cross syndrome still on PT boards. Okay, mm-hmm. then everybody needs to read the research and understand why that's problematic. That's my biggest thing. Like, I just, I think people don't read enough and because people see these PT and Cairo debates 
And like when I see them, I just think it's the same tired old thing because I've read enough to know that these conversations have been going on since the 80s. But like a lot of PT and Cairo students see like debates that go on and they're like shocked that there's even a conversation because they're like, wow, I didn't even know that that was something that wasn't fully agreed upon unanimously. And the reason for that is sometimes PT and Cairo students, the only exposure they get to anything that they're going to read and learn is just textbooks, lecture, and like BS continuing ed courses, which most of them are. So it's like, that's- Because there's so much information out there that like you can only consume so much. And I know as a student, like I just took what I was given in school because I was like, all right, the end goal of school is to pass boards and then boards, you get a job. So like, yeah. I was always like, oh, I'll figure it out like once I graduate. But now I'm like, I feel behind when I graduate because like, I should have done this in school. But I know most students always feel so overwhelmed because you're just trying to like get by and you're- day-to-day -day with school so it's definitely yeah. tough but I think it's I think yeah I think that part, in a sense I think that part sucks feeling overwhelmed but I also think that like that's just part of this if you're going to be in a, a science-based profession and you're going to work with people who are in pain you have to be making a constant effort to keep upgrading and keep learning and the second that you feel comfortable at all like that's a terrible sign because that usually means that you think you've figured something out or that you think that you just get it. And the best researchers in the field are pretty open about the fact that they don't get it and we don't really know a lot. So if they aren't that confident, like we shouldn't be either. Like if you feel uncomfortable and overwhelmed all the time because you're getting bombarded with information, there's just too much out there to learn. That's a really good thing. And I always tell people you should lean into that and embrace that, even if it makes you anxious and feels like you, you don't know anything because that's how everyone in this space should feel all the time. If people can't like reconcile with that, then it's probably just not a very good space for them to be in because that's just the reality of where we're at right now as a society with like pain and pain research. We just don't know a lot of stuff um, and it's really poorly managed. So when people get comfortable, that's not a good thing. And that's where we need to really challenge what we're taking in for boards and taking in for passing exams and all that kind of stuff. That's and also deal. just being comfortable with the fact that you're never going to know everything. Yeah. And exactly. there's so much that we don't know and that you'll probably never know. So how can you best treat the patient in front of you and period, like that's it, the patient, not the diagnosis, not anything else, just helping the person in front of you. Right. And that, that's the only part that scares me a little bit is because people can take that kind of line of thinking and say, oh, well, if it works, that's good enough. Mm. And that's the same logic that got chiropractors into, you know, cracking backs for maintenance care and telling people that if they don't get it, their spine will fall apart. I get how people get overwhelmed and then fall into this sort of like, ah, if it works and they're getting better, that's, that's all that matters, but it's not. And um, that's how bad stuff seeps into. So it's just, it's, it's, there's like a balance. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult. And that's why we're all in the current state that we're in because there's so much information <laughs> and we have to figure out what's right. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I won't say right and wrong, but just what's right and what can be best fit for the patient, yeah. but awesome. Any final takeaways? Any um, last remarks? No. That's it. I've said enough stuff, I think. That was a lot. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining. It was a pleasure to have you. And I hope our listeners got a good take of what your Cairo, possibly not Cairo life is like. That's but awesome. where can people find you if they have questions or want to contact you? 
it's Aaron underscore Kubal DC, I think for all my social media stuff. Uh, and then email is usually a good way. I'm pretty sure it's Aaron Kubal DC at gmail.com. If, if that's not it, it's on my website somewhere, but yeah, my name, just look up my name. You'll find it. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for coming on. You guys know where to find him if you need anything. And that concludes this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.